Hello and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. My guest today is session stylist Luke Benson. He is a salon hairdresser who is now evolved to be a high-profile session stylist. His work has been seen in publications such as Vogue, Vanity Fair, Elle, Wonderland, GQ, Men's Health and many, many more. And he's joined campaigns for brands including Dior, Paul Smith, Harrods, Mr Porter and Hugo Boss. I want to talk to him about how he has transitioned from behind the chair to being backstage at so many fabulous shoots and shows and looking after a celebrity clientele. His is a world of high fashion and couture, the stuff of dreams. So how easy is it to navigate being a hairdresser in this time of economic crisis as a session stylist? Luke Benson, welcome to the Respectfully Podcast Studio. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to do one of these. <laughs> you know, I feel like I haven't done something like this since, like with COVID, I was doing all those like, Instagram lives and Zooms and all that kind of thing. And now everything's started to get a little bit back to normal. Yeah. It's which quite is nice. nice being back in this environment and having a chat. I think so. And I think it's, I mean, wasn't it a godsend that we all discovered Zoom and Instagram live and so on that we could stay connected? But mm. It's not the same. Oh, it's not the and same. And I think, no. you know. Especially in our industry, you want yeah. to be hands on. Yeah. And sitting around having a conversation and hopefully going to lots of live events, which mm-hmm. I will talk about yes, later <laughs> as things are, are picking up. So I'm sitting here chatting to you in London. Mm-hmm. Are you London-based? Tell me a little bit about your story, where, how you got into hairdressing and sort of where we find you in the industry today. Um, I live in Hertfordshire. I'm from Hertfordshire. Um, I did the salon route for 13, 14 years. Um, Is that I've, straight from school? We, did you jump in yeah, young? Yeah. yeah, I did my GCSEs. I was um, an August baby, so I'm kind of young for my year, so... I always knew I wanted to do this, but I did my AS levels. I don't know what it was, whether it was a fear thing or just in case. Um, but I think halfway through that year, I was convinced I was wasting my time. And you wanted to do hairdressing? You knew you wanted to do yeah, hairdressing or just do, something creative? I wanted to do something in fashion, but I didn't want to do clothes. And I'd always had, I'd always had stupid haircuts at school, got in trouble for them, you know, all of that. And... I remember once I, I tried to bleach my hair myself or something. Ouch. It wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum came home and was like, well, that needs sorting. School were like, no. Yeah. And I ended up going to the salon that she used to get her hair done mm-hmm. in and rather than going to the barbers. And I just, I genuinely just loved the whole atmosphere. And it's kind of carried on throughout my whole career, that feeling of it never really seemed like anyone was working if that makes sense it was just like a really fun chatty environment which is how I always wanted to be when I was salon based and that is what I loved about it is that I used to love a really busy Saturday because you'd see predominantly all of your sort of favorite clients you'd been doing anywhere from 12 15 20 haircuts in a day yeah but it never felt like work it just felt like having a chat with people um so I yeah, I left school and I applied at a few places in town, John Frieda, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I got an interview at Clipso in Watford, which was the late Terry Calvert's yeah, sort of quite head a big office. Group, very, mm, yeah. very big name. They were, and uh, they were on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. So I could either walk in to work and, and once I passed my driving test, it was a five minute drive and I was there. And 
yeah, Terry kind of taught me everything and opened my eyes to all the other avenues that the industry has, which mm-hmm. I was never sure of at, you know, 17. Yeah, why would you be? Exactly. I thought, you know, yeah. you have to be in a... I knew of Tony and Guy, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You've got to have 200 salons to make any money and that's how you run a business in here. Um, so through Terry, I saw, you know, I was assisting him on shoots and shows and all these things and it really, like, wowed me. Um yeah, because I think for anybody listening who doesn't, Terry Calvert, who, who set up the group Clipso, was a hairdresser who was very sort of visible in competitions on mm-hmm. the trade side of things, but he also did the the sort of session stuff. And yeah. he, but he was also then, he became very involved with things like the fellowship, didn't he? So he was yeah. very invested in hairdressing oh, in a broad way. And I think that was another thing that, you know, I got into the fame team in 2015. So I had this sort of love for the fellowship back then through Terry and this awareness of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I trained with Terry. Uh, I qualified pretty quickly. I finished my MVQ in, in less than two years, which I still feel isn't enough. And I feel like the MVQ needs to be better, but that's right. That's opening a minefield yeah. of conversation, <laughs> that is. It's another conversation. Yeah. We'll circle um, back to that, maybe. Exactly. Um, so then I worked for... You know, a few other groups did, yeah, 13, 14 years. Um, And then I won London Hairdresser of the Year in 2016, which was my kind of big career proud moment, which, you know, sometimes still hasn't sunk in. Um, And I guess off the back of that, I felt like I always wanted to work for myself. My dad's a businessman and sort of taught me the, the value of a pound and that kind of ethic um, so yeah, I, just, I you know, one day you're London hairdresser of the year with 50 odd clients a week and yeah. things seem pretty easy to waking up the next day, you're still London hairdresser of the year, but yeah. you've got no clients, got an open diary. you're freelance in inverted commas, but that kind of fueled my fire to really have to like push on and utilize it and you know, it's been five, nearly six years of being out on my own. Mm-hmm. So for you, the catalyst was perhaps winning that award. Did mm-hmm. that really make you think, right, I can do this? Did, did you need that for confidence, do you think? I think or? it was more that. I yeah. think I think industry competitions and things are, are fantastic for the trade side of the industry. And it helps to build your name and people's awareness of you and brands, etc., etc. But it was a real shock to me in the sort of session freelance world. Yeah. In a way, how little London Hairdresser of the Year means because they don't know a lot of that. It's more yeah. how many covers have you got? What celebs do you do? Yeah. Et cetera, yeah. Et cetera. It's measured so, a different way, isn't it? Exactly. So I suddenly had to go, oh, right, right. I need to, I need to get out there. I need to test. I need to build my book. I need to get as many beautiful images as I can and contacts for photographers, makeup artists, stylists, you know, all of that to, to give me that ammo to then effectively try and be represented by an agency. Um, and luckily my agents, they came to me, I think after my first year of being out on my own. So I'm signed to Frank and been with them for, for nearly five years now. And does that make a big difference having a, a, 
good agent or do you still have to put quite a lot of work in yourself at making sure your contacts are current and so on? I think I think you have to always work hard. You can't rest on your laurels in, in anything really. Um, the, the reason I, I went with them is they had a real good link to the music industry, which is something I always wanted to be involved in and quite a few of my clients are in that world yeah um and obviously like these agencies have they've maybe been going longer they they've got how many strings to their bows and different artists so they've got a different reach of brands and contacts that may have taken me a lot longer to to get right but then you've also got to be you know really good at what you do you're only as good as your last shoot or haircut show whatever it might be because everyone is vying for that same job yeah you know so when you get pitched to a brand there might be 20 other hairdressers being pitched to that brand from other agencies or freelancers so you've got to make sure that you've got a book of great work but then when you're actually on the job you're delivering what either the art director or fashion director or the talent needs to you know tick that box and how much of it is how much they like you? Do you think it's 50% skill, 50% whether they act? Because it's very emotional. I mean, oh, hairdressing is emotional, but, I, you know, you hear all these stories about sort of, yeah. you know, if you don't click or gel or if the client doesn't think you're making them look. I think there is a lot of that I think because, you know, there's, I think we can all hold our hands up and say there might be hairdressers that are better than them that don't appear to be as busy as you are or someone else is. And sometimes that is down to personality because that person gets on really well with the team. I always try, even though I'm, you know, the hairdresser, try and muck in by, you know, helping the photographers digi, moving some things around and doing all of that. Just because a more harmonious and better run shoot environment means the shoot's going to be better. Yeah. And the working space is nicer. So everyone just ends up having a better day and that then brings on future work you might end up working with the photographer that likes you and then they get another job and they put you forward for that job it maybe doesn't go directly through your agency or the brand same as if it's a makeup artist or a stylist they can they can vouch that you're yeah you're good and you're nice and will make you know the end result of another future potential job be perfect yeah i think in all respects we live in that sort of world now Mm -hmm. isn't it we'll all take an endorsement over you know a bit of paper saying somebody's good if somebody in you know nearby says oh yeah i know them or i've heard about them or you know i can vouch or something and it's it's really important so your website says Mm -hmm. so i did i always google my guests first and see what comes up so uh, full marks because your own website came up first okay (laughs) um but it says um your imagery is beauty focused with an edge that keeps it current and fashion forward yeah. is strengths across both the hairdressing and the male grooming industry. So in, in, by referencing the male grooming side, where does that sort of place you in the industry? Do you think of yourself as being more of a sort of, um, session men's hairdresser or is it barbering or is it, t- tell me about that description. Um, I wouldn't say barber cause there are some fantastic boys in this industry and girls, um, who are barbers and do some incredible work on that side. Um, 
mine I would say from men's grooming is it kind of encapsulates everything so it's not just a haircut so I back when I was 20 I worked in a salon in London that was a hair and makeup salon right so we used to have a lot of brides a lot of people were coming for events and I went to the Academy of Freelance Makeup which was paid for by my boss at the time to learn the kind of basics of of makeup and I was actually taught by Lan and Guillaume Grielis oh, who's, wow. who's now a really good friend of mine and we yeah. work on a lot of things together um so it allowed me to basically I'd prep skin or do base for my boss at the time to save time so then he'd do mm-hmm. the smoky eye and all of that kind of stuff so that has actually helped me a hell of a lot now in my career that I know about skin and tones and things when it comes to makeup so for guys when I'm doing grooming it includes that as well right so if it's a musician doing a a shoot or a or a music video or performance or talent going on tv or a shoot for a brand etc I can do the hair and the skin yeah um and it's not just a matter of throwing on some powder and kind of thinking that's going to be enough and get the shine out and etc there is a little bit more to it mm-hmm. I'm never going to claim to be a makeup artist you don't want me doing <laughs> right. a smoky eye or putting on some, <laughs> some fake lashes yeah. or anything like that but it's it's helped me a lot yeah for a quite a big bit of my clientele yeah um but I haven't uh, I'd probably say I have a 50 50 split on men's and women's hair right um so not sort of pigeonholed what sort of thing what's what do you like doing most is it the sort of the screen stuff is it backstage at shows is it what is there anything that you lean towards more is the thing that you think oh yeah i really want that job or or i mean i do it... love being in the shoot environment right. um so i'm i shoot a lot in the week whether it's a shoot for a brand um or something for tv but when it's a shoot and you've got like a few looks to get through and you're in front of camera and you're in a studio that's that's where my kind of heart lives shall we say but then you know i've just been over to paris for um couture fashion week Mm -hmm. and did two talent there ready to go to the victor and roll show and you're we were crammed in a very small hotel room but I loved it because you know you, you you kind of got no mirrors there's stuff the kits all over the bed the makeup artist kits all over the bed and you just got to get it done but they had a professional sort of street photographer with them mm-hmm. and he sent me all the pictures afterwards and they are like we effectively did a photo shoot in the hotel yeah and I mean they're just as good as being in a studio so and then I get into it. Like he was more than, or they were more than happy of just him taking some quick shots, standing wherever. But I'm jumping in. I'm moving bits of hair, and, and it's, I get back into that that mode. Yeah. Um, but I think you, I think with my week, it's so diverse. Whatever job I'm doing, if there's imagery has to be taken, whether it's still or video, I know that I need to make that person look the best that they can at mm-hmm. that time. Um, I'm a stickler for getting I mean I, I have to apologise all the time to like the cameramen or 
photographer that I'm trying to j- I jump in, trying to look at the screen, even if it's not an actual <laughs> photo shoot thing, because I want right. to I yeah. want to check, like because it's your name effectively, you know, yeah. like, the way that these people look and when these pictures come out, that is your visual CV effectively. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just anything where there's a camera. Yeah. That's where I like. That's to where you be. like to be. Yeah. But essentially, you like the diversity of. Yeah, I love my of, weeks. Yeah, the work. They're so the random. Yeah. So, coming towards sort of what's happening in the industry at the moment, we've got this sort of big, especially in the UK, mm-hmm. this big sort of groundswell of people wanting to work on their own, to yeah. freelance or to be their own boss in some way, um, and this sort of new. What What do you think is going to happen with that? Do you think it's going to be? Something that lasts? Do you think it's a, a moment? No, I think it should. I think it will last, and I think it should last. I think this that American model is kind of becoming quite big over here. Right. Um, looking at how people, you know, even say like for, for example, like the way that Mark Woolley has the electric space. Yeah. Um, and places like that. To allow people the freedom, I think that is my biggest thing. And I think if I was to ever open somewhere and put my name above the door. Initially, obviously, I'd have to be there all the time because you're setting up a business, but I would probably only want to be there a day or week. Right. So I need to understand that my, in inverted commas, staff have those same feelings. Yeah. And I look back to things that have happened in my career where I've either missed out on things Mm -hmm. or not been allowed to do certain things because... don't take this the wrrong way saying I'm stuck in the salon mm. but it can be very frustrating if it's a quiet time of year and you haven't yeah. got many clients yeah. and, in you're and you're to tied the to the salon yeah so I think that's why it's gonna continue yeah but it has to be the best of both worlds you can't expect to be employed by someone or, or even though you're self-employed work in someone's space there has to be give and take you need to acknowledge the days that you have agreed to always be there and if something amazing comes up and you need to shift clients around, etc., you need to have a really honest relationship with your boss to say, I'll owe you that time back. Or if yeah. you're paying rent a chair or whatever you want to call it, a membership, that you can't get your back up if you're still paying the same amount, if you're not there the same amount of time. I think you yeah. need to know that the reason you're doing that is to allow you the freedom, but a boss or owner has rent and rates and all of that yeah. to pay. I think there's a certain naivety. That would be my um, my challenge is that I think uh, a lot of people are going that way without really understanding what it is that mm-hmm. they are choosing to do. Yeah. So you think about, yeah, the freedom and you think about, you know, more of what you make is going to be your take home. But actually you have to remember that there's an yeah. infrastructure that you've benefited from. Yeah. And, I, you know, and even yourself with things like the fame team, mm-hmm. um, you were probably in it back in the day when you didn't have to pay to be in it, but I think now, and now it's paid. It was 2015, so I think yeah. it was. I think there was an element of contribution from was my there? boss at the time. Yeah, I think there's. I think it's even greater now. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to sort of, you know, can't have it always. I suppose as a business owner with yeah, their employees, it's no. it's kind of you know it's getting people to understand the ramifications and as you say, behave in a respectful way. Exactly, and I mean, yeah. I'm Luke Benson Hair is a limited company, so in the sense I'm a. I'm a director of my company, so I feel like I've I've got quite good, you know, business knowledge for certain things, but I don't have <coughs> bricks and mortar and orders no. that I have to fulfil. So if someone's working out of somewhere's someone's place and they're providing 
heating, water, stock, etc., etc. Yeah. The membership or rent, whatever you want to call it, is there to cover outgoings. Yeah. yeah. But I think people also need to remember that it takes you a, a long time to get busy mm. being freelance, if you want to call yourself in that. You know, yeah. I, I'm coming up six years. I'm not working five days a week. Right. But also, I don't want to be working five days a no. week. So that's, in a sense, what I love about it as well, is what's given me, you know, life balance and freedom to not necessarily pick and choose my jobs because I love working. So yeah. I would rather be working than doing other things. But on the days when I'm not shooting, I know that I need to do... I need to reconcile my accounts and yeah. expenditure and yeah. do all those other bits. You can't just think, right, I'm going to leave, like I said earlier, 50 clients in the week, I'm good to go, wake up, work for yourself and expect to still have those 50 clients. Whether, you're, whether yeah. you just want to be freelance, a freelance hairdresser doing people from at, either at their homes or a place that you set up or whatever, you've got to remember sometimes those clients like the experience of getting their hair washed in a backwash. Yeah. They want to be in a salon environment. It's an hour or two away from real life. They want to, you know, they're having a bad day. They want to go and have a blow dry kind of thing. That might not happen if you're freelance. Yeah. So you need to kind of remember that you're going to lose some people. So you've got to decide the route that you want to go down mm-hmm. and really like focus on it. Don't, don't give up. I've, I've, I've seen this a lot, is people go out on their own for six months, a year, don't feel busy, and then go back. Yeah. And I understand that because life is scary at the moment and things are expensive and the world's changing. Um, but there has to be an amount of time that you kind of give yourself to, to get to get busy and to feel comfortable being free. Yeah, I think you have to prep yourself for, for going out on your own mm. and understand that there are, you're going to need different skills, you're going to need a different sort of support network, mm-hmm. you're going to need to be pretty organised yep. and pretty aware. So I think it's sort of, I think it's just the naivety sometimes. People have the good intentions, but they don't really take on board yeah. that you're going to have to do everything. And when that first tax bill hits, yeah. sort of <laughs> 18 months in, you're mm-hmm. suddenly like, what? But that's the thing is, I, I feel that, in a way, it's not talked about enough. Yeah. Because I don't know whether, as an industry, we shy away from talking about freelancers because we don't want to upset bosses of big salon groups and mm. that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, are we allowed to promote being freelance? But I feel like it's getting better and I feel like more bosses are becoming more open to the way their staff work. So... I think if people get a bit more knowledge and it's spoken about a little bit more, yeah, then... And I think also some of these companies can address some of the reasons why people think they want to go freelance mm. with, without losing them from the yeah. payroll, if you like. I 100%. think that we've perhaps got a little bit stuck in the working hours, this idea that you've got to work three Saturdays out of four. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's lots of things that can be looked at yeah. without, um, you know, anybody feeling that they've had to sort of, you know, roll over entirely but just revisit the way some things work I think it's interesting also and you're somebody who has you know been freelance for quite a few years now but you're still quite connected with the industry so we referenced you being you know learning working in a salon then being part of the fame team which is the British fellowship Mm. um 
was the first one of their sort of mentoring programs. I think they've got 10 teams now, yes, but they were the first one. Um, I remember you being on stage with Hair Club Live mm-hmm. back in the sort of in 2014 for the first time and sort of taking those opportunities, which yeah. are industry opportunities, if you like. But I thought it was interesting looking at your Instagram and some things I was reading um, before you came in where you were nominated for a couple of awards, I think, for the fellowship yep. recently. Yep. And you were saying how pleased you were that you had that connection still and that, yeah. that you'd been recognised in that way. So I think it's, I think it's nice to see somebody doing that because there's always this idea that you have to almost leave the industry yeah no and I feel like in a, in a way I did for the, those first couple of years because I was so like I said before so focused on getting busy and having to say yes to every job the jobs that came through my agency to meet these people I I dedicated a lot of time to that and I'm so glad that I'm still in the mix of trade yeah because they're you know they're industry friends now, like you know the people that you you work for, the organisations like the fellowship, etc., um, and brands that I have worked with in the past or would want to potentially work with in the future are I see as hair trade brands. Yeah. So I think you still need to be in the mix. Yeah. And I think that's also what links you to helping the future hairdressers. Yeah, I think it's professional, isn't it? It's mm. that word. I mean, rather than trade and consumer, which I was brought up seeing, I suppose it's more about the professional side of hairdressing mm. and keeping that word, and it's a profession. And it, it is, and, and I'd hope that with all these teams now that the fellowship have and the great people that they have on their teams or mentoring on these teams and the industry competitions, etc., is what inspires younger hairdressers it means the education will be better if people from my world are still in it um because the only way we can get better or this industry can get better is by learning and sharing and not being so uh, because i think sometimes it's a funny i don't know if it's a british thing or what you kind of you like to keep things to yourself sometimes we don't sing each other's praises enough who are in your industry it's, it sometimes can feel like there's a, a kind of backwards competition in there somewhere, whereas actually it needs to be the other way. We need to say, oh, Luke's gone out and done this, but he's still here. That's great. Or other friends of mine or other people I know in the industry doing a bit of both. It might only be an 80-20 split, mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with that. No. Let's find out why that person likes that mix, why they still want to stay in this bit. Um and sort of see where it takes yeah, us. Yeah, celebrate the differences exactly. rather than fearing them. And how do you stay motivated? Do you do any, I don't know, formal training? Do you look, do you have sort of, you know, buddies that you particularly collaborate on things with? How, how do you keep yourself sort of motivated with skills and yeah. inspiration? I mean, I learn a lot from the people that I do work with. Sometimes you've, it's that thing of this is what the brief is. I need to nail it and it's that kind of thing of like oh let me just get on with it let me do it and I'll learn either not from your mistakes but you've kind of like that's what I need to achieve let's break it down if it's not necessarily the normal hair that I do I still know how to do it and you kind of go back to your fundamentals yeah but then I learn loads from if I teach for certain brands if I'm teaching I don't know if I'm doing like a session to salon course or something like that 
there'll be some amazing young hairdressers on there that I can still, I'm not so, you know, self-centered or vain that I can't absorb something from a 19, 20 year old hairdresser yeah. that's, I'm like, wow. Because sometimes they're more connected with like yeah. Instagram <laughs> and all that than anyone else. It's great for me when I go to the shows and or work on the show or things like that, that you see trends. I like reading about trends and I have to sort of stay focused on that. I do a lot of, you know, quotes and things through my, yeah. my, my PR. Like, so you're, you're having to research a lot. Um, do you practice? Are you like at home at night practicing your mask no, and waves and your I, braiding and all that? No, to be honest with you, I should, I should practice more, but I've got an almost three-year-old, so uh, <laughs> practice. <laughs> and she doesn't like her hair being brushed, let alone try and braid it or do anything to her. So, um, Oh, you'll give, give her another few years yeah, and yeah, suddenly she'll soon. be bringing all her friends home yeah, and exactly. offer, offering you up as the, as the sacrificial daddy can do that. How do you feel about awards, talking about the industry? So we, we commented um, you won London Hairdresser of the Year, which I know was very important to you and, mm -hmm. and sort of kick-started yeah. that change of direction, perhaps. Are you, have you done awards since? Are you, are you a competitive person? Do you think there's a value in that? There's lots of questions in there all at mm -hmm. once, but talk no. to me about your view on awards. I mean, I had a really good run from like 2014, 2015, 2016. I, I got nominated for Afro Hairdresser of the Year in 2014. I had the Fame team and Bits and Bobs in 2015 and then won London Hairdresser of the Year in 2016. Um... And I do think that it it really gave me a bit of sort of ammo to, in the sense of confidence in myself. Yeah. That you're like, okay, hang on, I've I've won that. Well done. I've yeah. got. I must have something about me, or some people must like what I do. Yeah. So I think they are great for people who want to build their name, who want to have confidence. Like sometimes I say to people, like when I judge things. Yeah. Like if you don't win or you don't get through or whatever, like take all those positives from the process of that competition, whether it was the talking on stage when you have to do your presentation, that, that environment when you're working amongst the other finalists, semi-finalists, whatever it is in that room and that pressure. Yeah. Um, I think I touched on it before. I've, in my world now, it, it's sort of something that's not necessarily known. They no. don't... It's sometimes about the brands that you shoot for and photographers you work with or how many covers you've got. But I definitely brings me back to those kind of competition environments when I've got the first time I'm working with like a new celebrity and I've got to have my confidence as well as the sort of skill set to make them feel at ease. Mm -hmm. So... And I think what's good now in the industry is that we've almost got competitions that stretch from every age group. There's some yeah, of the, there's a lot there's around. something for the young ones, which <laughs> yeah. is fantastic. But yeah. there's also some of the big ones have changed the criteria where there's not like an age cutoff. Mm. Because some people, mm. it might be something that they've never really wanted to do or not had the confidence to do. Yeah. And then they feel, oh, I'm too old because I'm out of that age bracket of... That some people might not have started hairdressing until they were thirty. Yeah. yeah. You know, so why should they not be in a competition yeah. kind of thing? So yes, they can be great and they can give you great access to great things, but I just think with anything, whether it's a competition, 
Mrs. Smith on a Saturday afternoon wants to have a restyle. Yeah. You sit there and you just treat them like your canvas of that one moment and make it the best you can. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to win or grow in some way from that competition or Mrs. Smith's hair is going to look amazing. She's going to go and tell all her friends Yeah. and you're going to end up with five more clients. Yeah, so there's a benefit yeah, whichever way. you just have to be open to everything. We look at it. So uh, staying with your, your sort of current workload, again, mm. raiding your social media, I know that you are, um, well, you seem to be good friends with as well as have clients the likes of sort of Roman Kemp and mm. Billie Eilish and footballers and singers and influencers. Mm-hmm. How do you cope with um, ego? <laughs> yeah. Either theirs or yours. <laughs> do you know what, to be honest with you, I'm touch wood, I'm really lucky that I've had or have got great people that I work with. Billie Eilish is one of the nicest people. Really? Yeah. Who, for the stratospheric fame and success that she's had, she could be mm-hmm. a real diva. Yeah. So far from it. Roman's like, my best mate I've seen him grow go from strength to strength career wise yes I do his hair and grooming or whatever but I'm more proud of seeing like his journey and what he's done um so I'm really lucky in that sense and to be honest with you sometimes it's not even the talent that the people it's the it's management and yeah, label. It's the entourage. It's the entourage think, yeah. who feel that they've and I, I get it I feel that they because they're looking out for their talent or they've got to be um, seem to be like the power person in the mix. Mm. Like I remember when I did the um, I did the Hugo Boss campaign a few years back with four footballers, and they were all great. Like it was, it was like fifteen hour days. Yeah. Not one of them moaned. Yeah. One of them's management manager asked how long we were going to be because the private jet was leaving in an hour. <laughs> you know, thing, and then there's everyone on set from Sparks and Gaffers and all of that and you, they overhear it and you think, there's a time and a place to not mention yeah. the private jet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I'm pretty lucky. I to have that problem. Oh, I know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, but no, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. Everyone's pretty cool. I have a nice mix. Working with musicians is really cool because you get... If you have a few, you almost, you go through each of their journeys. So I did, like with George Ezra last year, we had new album and tour. Mm-hmm. So you do all the artwork for that and performances and TV promo and, and that kind of thing. His album came out. He's touring now. And now I just had Tom Grennan's new album artwork mm-hmm. has come out. He's going on tour in March, I believe. So like George is done, then went on to Tom, now Tom's done, and then you kind of wait for what might be the next one while he does promo, and they, they kind yeah. of just sort of slip, slip, slip into through, each yeah. other, and your diary does, you know, kind of deviates around whoever. So you can't, you can't just be stagnant and think, oh, I've got all these people, I don't really need to get anyone else. Yeah. The, the goal is always to find, or to to get a job with the next Billie Eilish before anyone knows about them. And that comes from having a really good relationship with the record labels or the management companies who have just signed someone and you get in there early and hope that their, their career takes off and you're in there from 
the start. You know, I know people that, you know, did Little Mix before they were, mm-hmm. when they first got put together after yeah. X Factor or whatever, and then they had an amazing, amazing how long them. their yeah. career was. Yeah. Billy's great. I just, I, I like to think that I'm her UK hairdresser when she comes over. Yeah. Um, it's sporadic. We did the Brits, we did the, the Bond premiere, and then I may not see her again for six months a year yeah you know how does it work then with the diary i mean do you do people want exclusivity like if somebody said all right i want to go on tour and you need to come with me Mm -hmm. or is that never a question no that sometimes does happen yeah um i don't i don't know how i would do it or get away with it should we say (laughs) Um, wife might not be very happy well it's just it's just a (laughs) it is a big commitment yeah but some of them are like i know people that, that travel with artists left right and center and when I speak to them, label and management they are quite good with allowing you, you go home for a few days or you mix and do one tour and you come back for a little bit and then there's a gap. It is just, it is diary management, which I'm really lucky. One of the reasons I'm glad I have an agent mm-hmm. um, that I kind of, I'm a bit anal. I do have to check a lot and I like to be organized, but I know that they're, they're running with it. That's probably one of the hardest things I'm still not used to is my diary. And I said before we started recording to you that you have a receptionist when you're working in the salon mm-hmm. and your diary's there, you know, yeah. people get booked in. And Whereas I might have, you know, I've got an option for tomorrow, which is confirmed, great. But then I've got an option for Wednesday and Thursday, not confirmed yet. So I'm right. not sure. So you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And I've got, on Thursday, I've got two options. So you don't know which one it might be, or it might be neither of them. So that's something that I've really had to try and almost take a bit of a chill pill with because it can really get your anxiety yeah. going. Yeah, you've got the right you're, mentality. Oh, you're freelance at the end of the day. You're, you know, you're, a, you're, you're like a tradesman. Mm-hmm. You know, that is your, that's your money. You know, you, if that booking comes out of your diary at the 11th hour... Yeah. It's more than likely not going to be filled yeah. before that day then comes up. So then you're like, oh, God, I'm not working now. Yeah. And if you let that get to you, it can be really yeah. detrimental. It can be difficult. Mm. And just sort of um, the, the sort of other big question I just wanted to ask before we, we uh, wrap up. Working with brands, mm-hmm. so um, you might have a... D- if you don't have a brand backing you, is it a massive investment for kit and for your own products, or do you reach out and sort of use whatever you've been sent? How do you organise that? Are you? With, I don't know if you're with a brand. At the no, moment, I'm not with anyone across everything at the moment. I'm in talks with some, um, still looking. It's got to be the right fit. I've, I've I've affiliated myself with brands in the past, which have been you know good at the time, but probably not exactly what I needed. Yeah. Um, kit is expensive I say it when I'm teaching courses and it's you're talking to young hairdressers who maybe don't have a name behind them or a yeah. clientele but I definitely believe in that thing of pay cheap, pay twice You know, yeah. so investing in kit it is an outlay but it's a good outlay Yeah. because you know you've got something yeah, that is going to deliver the goods and mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough, yes, that PR companies and brands send you their new launches, send you new products to try. Um, and I have my faves. 
I think it's like anyone that even if they've got brand affiliation, we all know they've got certain products taped <laughs> up with another <laughs> in product with in it. Bag, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's always a bottle of plea somewhere in <laughs> every hairdresser's kit. Um, but yeah, it's just time. I think you just you slowly build up your kit. There's and there's you, people have really random tools that mm. people are like. Why have you got that? And they just know what that little baby toothbrush is perfect for the little soft flyaway hairline yeah. bits you know and you just keep that and you you invest in japanese hair grips as opposed I was to say, japanese hair grips yeah always get exactly as opposed point. to buying hair tools pin box mm. which there's nothing wrong with mm. but you want to kind of have the best but you've got to spend the money yeah and then you get really like you say, well, do you want me to take your hairpins out at the end yeah. of the thing? Because you yeah. know how much it will... Oh, they're just going to walk away. Yeah, keeping track of things must be mm. quite yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Quite do you know what? I had another clear out the other day. and I try to donate as much as I can to like hair and beauty like charities. Mm. Or I've got a friend who's a... Um, what, what was she called? She's sort of like a teacher in a college, of like, like a hairdressing college. Mm. And I try and donate things to them if yeah. I have a big clear out. So at least someone's getting yeah. them. I don't want to just them to go to landfill know, or waste. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm fortunate that it's you know taken me a while. But now I touch wood. Don't have to pay for too much stuff. Good, good, good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank Last you. question, kind of the big plan. What's the what's the big plan for the next say five years? Is there oh. one, or is it just getting through? Getting I think I think I've always. I want to get a real, a, like a, a really nice brand affiliation. Mm-hmm. It's probably my big one where, you know, kind of art directory, creative director, whatever you want to call it, whether it's wet line or hot tool, mm-hmm. where I can help a brand maybe grow yeah, and produce like nice imagery. Um, because it's then going to, that will help me and my name and then hopefully that brand awareness as well. Even if it's a big brand, it's just going down a different route. Yeah. And then, then there's always that, do I open a salon thing hangs mm. over my head. Um, I know I'd like it. It would just have to be right time, area. But maybe at some point you would go back to the salon. Oh yeah, I don't think I'd do it, for, like I said earlier, I don't think I'd, I wouldn't do it full time. No. I'd just like it to be a bit of a base for me yeah I think it allows me to do some of my clients or celebs or shoots or content mm. in somewhere and a pension and a pension exactly <laughs> um so yeah I'm kind of just want to take it I'm trying to be as organic and let the universe do its thing but to have maybe a, a little brand deal somewhere will just relieve okay. a bit of pressure keep our fingers crossed yeah. And then the very last question, which I'm asking everybody, mm-hmm. what three words would you like to hear associated with you in a work capacity? What, oh. what are the three words that you see as a compliment or as a, as a signature style of working? Or um, Humble. Mm-hmm. Passionate. Easygoing. I'd say. Well. Nothing about my hair skills. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. It's been an absolute delight. Thank Thank you for the conversation. Thanks to my guest, Luke Benson. And I'm sure you'll agree he does live up to his three words of choice. 
If you enjoyed listening to us, jump over to Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and visit our library of conversations recorded over the past few years with hairdressers from all parts of hairdressing. And if you like what you hear, please do rate and review us as it helps to drive us up the charts and make hairdressing podcasts easier to find. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs) Thank you.